Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane with you here on Friday, March the 23rd. This week we're talking aspirin. Two days ago we published online three research articles, two in the Lancet, one in the Lancet Oncology, with the latest chapter in the aspirin story showing how it could be protective for a wide range of cancers. The investigation was done by Peter Rothwell and colleagues at the University of Oxford in the UK. And to try and put that into perspective, Earlier I spoke to the author of a comment published alongside this research, Dr. Andrew Chan from Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital in the United States. Dr. Chan, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Can you just remind us, because obviously aspirin first became known as, as offering potentially offering protection against cardiovascular disease, but even there, there, there is still a little bit of controversy as to, as to who benefits from aspirin use. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I think You know, there's very little dispute that aspirin is indicated for individuals who have had a prior cardiovascular event, meaning they've either had a prior heart attack or a prior stroke. The controversy, I think, lies more in whether individuals that have no prior history of cardiovascular events should be taking aspirin for the prevention of their first heart attack or first stroke. And a variety of of different opinions uh, remain about this subject. And I think at this point, the state of the um, discussion, I think, lies in a, a feeling that people should be risk stratified before they can consider taking aspirin for the prevention of vascular disease, such that for individuals that are considered to be high risk or maybe at moderate risk for developing a cardiovascular event, those individuals may stand to benefit, whereas individuals that are extremely low risk of an event probably shouldn't take aspirin. So. There is some uh, controversy about how to really define who is high risk and low risk, um, but I think that's really where the state of the controversy is now. Thanks very much for neatly uh, summarizing that in terms of vascular disease. And now let's turn to the matter in hand, which is your assessment in your comment, assessing the work of Peter Rothwell from the University of Oxford and colleagues. This is looking at a lot of data, systematic reviews, pooling lots of data that's out there concerning aspirin and cancer. Difficult question to ask you to do in a couple of minutes. Could you just summarize what you think the key findings are from Rothwell's analysis? Well, I think the key finding is that these um, data really do provide some some pretty convincing evidence that the effect of aspirin in the prevention of cancer extends to multiple different types of cancer. I think it was very clear probably in the last few years that there was an effect in colon cancer and that had always been where the data were the strongest. But the information about whether aspirin reduced the risk of developing or dying from cancers of other organs like prostate, breast, esophageal, et cetera, that was much more unclear, and the data were much more, uh, much more inconsistent. But I think the studies that have come out of Peter's group have really suggested that the benefit seems to extend uh, for many different cancers, uh, particularly adenocarcinomas, and um, and looks quite consistent. In addition, I think there were some very interesting data within um, the most recent papers that suggested that potentially there was also an effect on cancer progression. It looked as if there was also uh, a reduced risk of, of being diagnosed with a metastatic cancer if you were on aspirin. And also uh, for individuals that have been taking aspirin with cancer, It seemed as if uh, those individuals that were continued on aspirin in the studies seemed to do better also in terms of dying from uh, uh, cancer-related causes. So there is some some real, um, I think, positive.
positive news about aspirin with respect to its ability to affect multiple cancers and also affect cancers at different uh, stages in the uh, process. In a nutshell, really, it's, it's important but still quite generalized information, isn't it? But the last point you made about people who already have a cancer doing better when they start taking aspirin is interesting. I think that there has been this idea that aspirin affects the initial growth of a tumor, and I think that was really something that was validated by the findings of clinical trials showing that aspirin reduces the risk of developing colon polyp, which is really the very earliest stage of the cancer process. But also the data from Peter's group and also data in other uh, studies has shown that even after cancer is already developed, there might be some benefits. So, you know, it's, it suggests that aspirin isn't just something that operates very early in the pathway, but potentially something that affects uh, later progression of cancer. So it may influence the likelihood of a cancer spreading or, you know, metastasizing. So those are all very interesting uh, observations because it clearly has implications for the many men and women who already have cancer and are looking for something to do to reduce their risk of either developing a recurrence or dying from their disease. And of course, these things are never uh, 100% black or white. There's still uh, a couple of question marks. And you point out in your comments that there are two large data sources, two, um, two studies, which were actually excluded by Rothwell's analysis. Do you want to comment on that? The two largest uh, primary prevention studies, meaning studies that were done of aspirin in individuals that didn't have a prior history of vascular disease, um, were, were the Women's Health Study and the Physician's Health Study, which were both U.S.-based clinical trials looking at aspirin in the prevention of heart disease. Um, and in the case of the Women's Health Study, there was also a specific endpoint for total cancer. Both of those studies were, were also examining other interventions in sort of a two-by-two two design. So the Physician's Health Study also looked at beta-carotene and uh, was interested in the effect of beta-carotene on cancer. Um, and the Women's Health Study was also looking at cancer uh, uh, with respect to vitamin E. So because of the way they were designed, the men and women were provided aspirin every other day. So there were differences certainly in the way aspirin was administered in those two studies compared to the studies that were grouped together in uh, Dr. Rothwell's pooled analyses. So I think that... that um, you know, the rationale for excluding them was the fact that aspirin was administered in a different way, and that potentially could be a factor in in explaining why those two particular studies actually did not see any benefit with respect to aspirin use on cancer. So, you know, I think that, that uh, the fact that those studies found a different result than the studies that were included in Dr. Rothwell's papers is important to acknowledge, but in addition, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are differences in the way the studies were done. So, it's unclear whether the explanation really is the the way the aspirin was administered or if there were differences in potentially uh, the doses that were used or if the the situation was such that the studies were um, were or such that the uh, observation time wasn't long enough to actually see a benefit. So there are a variety of explanations for potentially the contrasting results, but they still remain two sort of outlier studies which I think do uh, bear uh, acknowledgement and certainly don't make the uh, the case for aspirin for cancer entirely uh, 100% definitive. Can you comment now, related to the point you just made there, 
you know, it's not a 100% open and shut case here for aspirin. We all know about the side effect profiles of aspirin, gastric bleeding, etc. Who will benefit most, do you think, from the results by Rothwell and, and colleagues about the potential of, of prevention for cancer? Because it's not everyone, isn't it? The data for an anti-cancer effect of aspirin is very strong. And as I said, I think it does look as if it may extend to cancers beyond the colon. So I think that's very exciting. But once you start to consider how to translate this into clinical practice, you have to consider what are the individual patients for whom you would make this recommendation. And unfortunately, it's difficult to make a broad sweeping recommendation for the entire population because there are these issues of risk-benefit. And the risks, as you as you alluded to, uh, of aspirin use include gastrointestinal side effects, which, you know, can potentially be quite serious. You can develop serious gastrointestinal bleeding that could result in hospitalization. In addition, in a much more rare complication of aspirin use is intracerebral bleeding or bleeding strokes. And so you do want to make sure that individuals who take aspirin, particularly over a long period of time, know that these are side effects that they they need to be aware of. And um, so I think when any individual considers taking aspirin, they have to consider how to weigh those particular risks versus their their uh, their benefits. And so I think it is very much highly individualized. On the flip side, though, I think you also need to kind of ask the question, well, are there particular subgroups for whom aspirin would most benefit? And I think it seemed logical to assume that those are going to be individuals that are at higher risk for developing cancer. And unfortunately, unlike cardiovascular disease, there has not been a lot of of really um, uh, uh, strong uh, risk indices indices that have been created to really assess individual risk of developing cancer in a quantitative way. I think broadly we believe that people with a family history of of a cancer certainly are at high risk of developing a cancer themselves. But beyond that, we know that there are specific lifestyle factors, et cetera, for individual cancers. Um, But it's not really clear how to sort of apply that uniformly in a way that allows people to have a quantifiable risk of cancer that allows them to weigh risks and benefits with respect to a preventative therapy like aspirin. Yeah, thank you. That's a really interesting and important point. Finally, Dr. Chan, Where do we go from here, both in terms of what further research do we need to answer some of the still questionable areas? And and B, importantly, you've mentioned clinical practice. We need clinical guidelines, don't we, now with aspirin, because the aspirin story is moving on a pace every year, it seems. I think that's correct. I mean, I think the research agenda really does need to focus in on this question of who do we treat and who do we uh, give aspirin to for either prevention or treatment. And that, I think, will involve understanding more the specific clinical features that seem to uh, suggest that benefits outweigh risks, but also, I think, understanding if there are potential other sort of biological factors that we can can try to interrogate to help us understand risks and benefits. So I think there's been a lot of interest and work in this idea of sort of personalized prevention or developing either genetic markers or um, other types of biomarkers to identify particular subgroups of the population for whom they may be at especially high risk of, for example, a side effect from aspirin 
or maybe at extremely high risk of, of having um, uh, a benefit from aspirin. So this idea of being able to personalize uh, prevention as well as treatment is, I think, one that um, needs to be considered more broadly for preventative interventions like aspirin. And then with respect to guidelines, I think you know, that goes hand-in-hand hand with research in terms of understanding you know, risk-benefit for individual patients and maybe trying to develop you know, a risk assessment tool that allows us to use either clinical factors or maybe some bio biomarkers to, you know, again, isolate subgroups of the population for whom treatment or prevention with aspirin seems very strongly indicated compared to groups where potentially aspirin is, is not so strongly indicated. And I think that type of research and those type of, of, uh, of, of uh, information tools will be really important in developing guidelines for how we recommend aspirin use for either cardiovascular disease or cancer. But irrespective, I think it remains clear that going forward, I think any sort of effort to make guidelines or any sort of effort to consider population-wide recommendations for aspirin do need to really, I think, incorporate both heart disease risk and cancer risk since, you know, those are the two leading causes of, of death in most of the world, and those are really the the two things that people really, really care about. And I think you have to really incorporate both of those particular endpoints before you can make guidelines meaningful for an individual patient and their physician. Thank you very much. It's a um, fascinating analysis and thoughts that you have. And as I, as I said, uh, another chapter in the aspirin story, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about it in the future as well. But in the meantime, Dr. Andrew Chan on the line from Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. My pleasure. Well, many thanks to Dr. Chan and to you all for listening. See you next time.